The CBF Podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Study online or on campus and learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. Hey, podcast listeners, this is your host, Andy Hale. We are thrilled to bring you another year of CBF's podcast with a cavalcade of brilliant guests such as Father Tom Reese, Washington Post's Sarah Pulliam Bailey, Mark Charles, Soong Chen Ra, and Matthew Paul Turner. And that's just skimming the surface of the first few months. As you know, last fall, we launched the Podcast Listener Support Project. This is an opportunity for you to connect closer with the podcast and premier guest. By becoming a podcast supporter, you can join me on an interview with premier guests such as Walter Brueggemann, Sarah Bessie, and Brian McLaren. So check out cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. This week's CBF Podcast Conversation is brought to you by Equal Exchange. Equal Exchange is a 33-year-old fair trade organization that works with small-scale farmers in 20 countries to bring you organic coffee, tea, chocolate, cocoa, and nuts. Serve high-quality coffee during fellowship that matches your congregation's values with prices starting at $0.10 a cup. Fundraising with fairly traded products at an Easter or Christmas event. Equal Exchange also offers a line of products from Palestinian farmers in the West Bank, including organic olive oil, moftul, frika, and dates. For more information, visit equalexchange.coop backslash interfaith. That's equalexchange.coop backslash interfaith. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Sundron A. Thomas. Uh, Shandron is the president of Northern Trust Asset Management, a trillion-dollar global investment management business. And if he's not busy in developing long-term strategies, executing operating plans, and cultivating client relationships, he finds time to write a new book, Discovering Joy in Work. Uh, Shandron, thank you for joining the conversation. 
Well, Andy, thank you uh, for having me and thank you for your interest also on the book, Discover Joy and Work. Now, I guess the first off, uh, did, did you bring any of those trillion dollar investments to share with me today? I, you, know, you, don't have to, you don't have to, I don't care about the audience. They can fend for themselves. <laughs> well, Andy, sort of the wonderful thing about uh, my, my, my role and my uh, work is that I'm a fiduciary, so to speak. So it totally is other people's money. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I can't say that I have brought some of those trillions because it belongs to other people aside from me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all know the federal government's listening anyway, so uh, they're, <laughs> they're fully, fully investigating this podcast. All right, before we get to your work at Northern Trust and before we get to the book, uh, let's take a step back and talk about the story of the guy who got himself to this place. Uh, I guess the most important question is, uh, you're from Chicago, so Sox or Cubs? I am a diehard Cubs fan, even though I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Okay. Well, it shows, it shows the longevity and patience you have as an individual, for your willingness to pull for a team that long for them to finally win it. That's right. And, and, I, and it shows the grace of being willing to continue to pull for a team that has one of the best rosters in baseball, yet is a debacle the last couple seasons. Oh, gosh. Uh, you, you know our pain, uh, probably not simply as a Cubs fan, but as just a Chicago sports fan, but a longer story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Y'all, y'all had enough championships for, for basketball in the 90s, you know, to shake a stick at. So we don't have to, we don't have to get into that too much. But uh, so tell us, tell us more about you. So, um, again, as you allude to, um, born and raised, uh, grew up on the south side of Chicago, um, two uh, wonderful parents. Now, um, admittedly, uh, although I work in the wonderful world of financial services and, and spent much of that time, as you mentioned, in investments, um, I didn't grow up uh, with a lot of material means. But I think the thing that was most important is I have two parents that are people of deep abiding faith, and the I could tell you uh, and recall as if it were yesterday, literally when my parents, when I was very young, uh, made that conversion to their faith. So this is before my teenage years. And I mean, we just got really involved, uh, not only in terms of, you know, our personal spiritual development, but very, very much got involved in the church. Um, but both through their faith and their work ethic, and still um, a lot of things in me. So, so that's, you know, really uh, formative if I think about a lot of things that I've ultimately pursued in life. Um, I did my undergraduate at Florida A&M and the wonderful state of Florida in Tallahassee. Uh, my wife actually is a, a graduate of Florida State and in Tallahassee is where we met. Um, you know, over 22 years later, um, I'm married much better than I deserve. Uh, and I have two teenage sons. Uh, and as I went along the way, it was probably in high school where, Andy, I developed an interest first in business because I, I studied accounting. And eventually, as I got more exposed to more parts of finance before I left uh, undergrad, uh, I decided I wanted to pursue a career in finance. And so uh, many years later, that's what I've done. Uh, and uh, it, it, it has been a, a good fit for me on a lot of different levels. I would say the, the other thing that's really important is not what I just do, you know, professionally, uh, but I, I always say our life plan uh, has to supersede our, our, our career plan. And so for us, we're very involved uh, in our church and leadership with that ministry, as well as a number of different, you know, nonprofits and other organizations uh, that support different aims uh, in the community. Well, uh, kind of a unique uh 
you know, position, um, you know, I can say that I've, I've definitely had to have a conversation with the president of a trillion dollar investment management business. So how, how does one get into that field and get to a place where you are today? Well, I, I think there, there obviously have to be a couple of things that come together. You know, uh, all, all of us uh, would hope, and I was fortunate to really be able to early on, um, identify things that I would say that I was very passionate about and proficient about at. And so I think finding success in any kind of career or vocation is in part, Andy, really just in a sense being planted in the right kind of soil. So oftentimes, you know, I run into people who I think are wonderfully talented, but if you look at their natural inclinations, their skill set, how they're wired, many times they are in careers that aren't, in a sense, a best fit for them. So, so I was certainly fortunate in the choice in that regard. Um, you have to be able to work well and discipline yourself. And so I think having an inclination towards being really disciplined, having that instilled from, from my parents. And, you know, you've heard these things about, you know, if you want to master something, the amount of time that you have to put in. But I would say for me, a willingness to put in that time to, to really focus on certain areas and desire a level of intentionality or mastery certain helps, certainly helps. The last two are very important. Um, you know, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors or advisors. I've had wonderful mentors and sponsors, Andy, throughout the course of my career uh, to help me navigate things I expected and many things that were unexpected. And the last one, it's just grace. Um, even if you work hard, even if you are very proficient at you do, there's nothing that says that you will necessarily have the kind of opportunity that I've had uh, in terms of the, the management level or leadership uh, opportunities. And so that's a function of timing and grace. And I certainly have been a beneficiary of grace. I think every, every vocation certainly has um, the positive aspects and also the challenging aspects of being a person of faith in a given field. You know, I could say as a local church minister, you know, there have been times where, uh, you know, you, you call one's uh, salvation into question with the frustrating nature of, of people at times. Uh, so what, what have been the most fulfilling things of being a person of faith in your field? And on the flip side, what have been some of the most challenging aspects of your work uh, in being a person of faith? Yeah, so I, uh, starting with um, the fulfilling things, I, it's interesting because I think in the nature of the business that I'm in, um, there are aspects of it that are just really demanding. And as you can imagine, Andy, uh, we're either dealing with really large institutions um, or you know, highly uh, successful and very wealthy individuals or family. Now, uh, there's little more to get people worked up in terms of worry or anxiety than their concerns about money, right? And we're at the epicenter of helping people, advising them, and ultimately uh, managing assets on their behalf. So, so you can think of in so many different ways all of the different angst and pressures that, that come with that, the nature of the business. And so because of that, having a strong grounding of faith is just been, to me, it's almost, it's almost in some ways like an advantage because at the end of the day, it's something that centers me. Um, I have more of a long-term or eternal mindset in terms of, instead of finite, um, that the, the principles that guide me in my spiritual walk absolutely apply to what I do on a daily basis. So, um, a sense of having that grounding in the true North also in terms of being the center of my morals and my ethical values 
And so the, the, those things in terms of principles that I would hold myself to um, as, a, as a function of my, my faith and my beliefs are higher than anything that we'd put in a compliance manual or anything like that. The, the, the last thing is an ability, at least when I'm operating most like Christ, I'm not perfect, um, but to really see people through the eyes of Christ. And so it gives you the opportunity to develop more healthy relationships. All those things for me are in outgrowth, outgrowth of my faith. And so those have been beneficial. The flip side is, as you can imagine, anytime you stake a position on anything, anytime you assert a belief about anything, there will always be opposition, right? And so as an article of my faith and the position that, you know, I may take on a number of things, I have to accept that some of those views will be countercultural. Um, there are exceptional situations where um, they may put me in conflict, right, with what I would say is common practice or common wisdom, so to speak. And in a sense, as the Bible says, you have to have a level of comfort of, of quote unquote, being that peculiar person. Right. And so that's one of the things, uh, you know, that comes along with that. I, I think the other thing is particularly in today's environment um, where people are much less inclined to engage uh, in civil discourse. Um, I find more than not, you can be misunderstood because, again, people may have a predisposition or a bias about you as a function of how they think you are because you are a person of faith, right? And so uh, thinking about how those things affect the ability to engage with people relationally. Now, you can manage through those things, but it's something that I've definitely uh, seen in this environment. Um, and again, uh, the last thing, and, and I feel at peace with this, but again, you know, the Bible tells us very plainly, right? You know, those two gods, so to speak, you can't serve uh, God and money, right? And if you think in the business I, I'm in, you, you have to be very careful that uh, the role that you play and the influence that you have because you are in a sense handling such large degrees of wealth doesn't color how you think about yourself, your importance, or ultimately how you should be serving others. Well, you've got a new book out, uh, Discover Joy in Work, Transforming Your Occupation into Your Vocation. And this book is an invitation for us to theologically rethink our work and finding purpose and meaning and productivity in our vocation. You wrote, uh, work is not simply about fulfilling duties or earning income. We have been conditioned to expect and even seek external incentives to do great work. There is, however, immense intrinsic value derived from work performed well. Walk us through um, the conception of this book. Yeah, so, um, so first of all, in terms of the, conce the conception, really born principally of two things. One was certainly my own personal experience. Like as you um, are growing and maturing spiritually, I would argue that, you know, if you're, a prof if you're working in any, uh, any, any form, uh, most of your waking hours are spent in the workplace. And so that's a proven ground and, and a place where God perfects you and matures you. So I think about going through my own arc 
of maturing in terms of my approach to work, how I think about work, uh, understanding how that fits in the context of living out my own faith. So, so think about that personal experience. The other part of it, Andy, is as I move through my career, I, I got increasing managerial responsibility. And more and more, when you're responsible for running a large groups or business segments and ultimately a global business unit, um, a big part of your job is actually coaching and developing and helping others achieve their full potential. And I was amazed, Andy, whether it was people that I worked with directly, oftentimes many people outside of the organization, but I spent time with engaging, trying to encourage, support, or help mentor the vast number of people that would disengage uh, for, with their work. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I would talk to incredibly talented people and upon being transparent, they would just tell me that they, I mean, they literally hated their jobs. And that was such a disconnect. And so I, I felt like there was something near and just was, was something in my heart and my, my spirit to, to be able to share. I love writing. Uh, I had written other books. And, and so that was the genesis or the conception of it. And what I would say is ultimately the whole concept got really built around three words, work, joy, and transform. And I think there's some deep truths there. When I think of work, I think of it can be physical or mental effort we expend to achieve a, a, a result. But realizing, particularly um, from my belief system, that work is actually inherently good. The Bible shows us that. And we're intended to flourish in our work, and I think people need to, to know that. Um, when I think about joy, something that causes you deep fulfillment or pleasure, and this, this, this fundamental belief that I have, another fundamental truth is work is intended to be joyful. But the last one was important, which is this thought of transforming or transform, meaning the change from one state to another. And, and I think that's important because what I realized that in order for us to truly what I call discover joy in our work, and I think that word is important, you have to discover it, we actually have to transform our mindset. Because I would say that the mindset or the thinking that is most common about work is antithetical to not only what we would know as an article of our faith as a believer, but I think truth is self-evident. So whether you're a professed believer or not, and that's why I wrote this work, this book I say to the working world, it's not a book expressly just written to believers, because that truth to me is really self-evident. Well, in the book, you, you talk about the difference between work and calling, and you wrote, uh, fully unleashing your potential occurs when we connect our work with our purpose. When we connect our hands, our head, and our heart to our work, work becomes much more than a job. This self-discovery helps reveal our reason for living. Take us a little deeper there. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because um, I think a lot of times, you know, when I was coming up, I, I would think to myself where, you know, there, there's, there's a purpose I have. There is some specific thing that I need to find that I'm called to. And I would say over time, just, you know, practical, my practical experience and, and sort of deeper introspection has caused me to have a different perspective of that, that I share in the book, which is this, I think we find purpose or purposefulness in what we do. And so I think any honest work is honorable. And I think when I commit again, my hands, my head and my heart, when I commit myself fully to work that I'm doing, Actually, um, we reveal aspects of the creator in us, right? And so, in a sense, we are able to find purposefulness and joy in that work. 
I think what happens too, and I, I realized this as I was growing up and, and I've had any number, I thought about this in the book. I mean, you name the kind of work, I feel like I've done it. Everything from mowing lawns to washing cars to filing medical records, you know, over the course of a long arc of time. And what I've found is whenever I'm fully committed to work, I'm always discovering new things, things about myself, about my inclinations, my interests, my ability. And so again, there is this finding purpose that we actually only find when we commit ourselves to doing the work. And so more and more about who I am, and for me as a person of faith, who I am in Christ is revealed in me when I commit myself to doing any kind of work God's way. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. Now, um, in the book, you... you 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 get into the aspects of of your faith. Um, how did how does your theological convictions shape the way that you approach your vocation? Yeah, so it, it shapes it in a couple of different ways. So one of the things um, that I think about is first and foremost, right? What is the, the 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 mindset or the attitude I have? You know, and, and for instance, in the Bible, it talks about um, really I would describe it as humility, the the attitude of Christ, the mindset of Christ. And so, when I'm thinking about my approach to work, you know, one of the things is you know uh, the theology begins with mindset. First of all, it goes back to what I was referring to earlier, those fundamental truths about work, right? So for instance, I think about the opening narrative of the Bible, very powerful, right? Um, And I like to say, if you think about it, when we're first introduced to God in the scripture, what type of God are, are we introduced to? I like to say this, we're not introduced to a God at rest, we're actually introduced to a God at work. And actually, at least from my perspective, when you read that biblical narrative, I mean, here you have God, right? He's uh, working in this atmosphere where there's apparent chaos and disorder, and he's bringing these things to order, and he's creating, in a sense, this habitation ultimately for man, his greatest creation. But at these different points of this creative process, at these different points of doing work, God pauses and he looks at the workmanship and he says, the work is good. So Andy, I'd suggest to you, how would you describe God's attitude towards work aside from saying it was joyful? And so if I start there in part, it makes me think about what is my attitude towards work? You know, when I wake up on any given day, and am I actually grateful that I have the capacity and the ability to work? Do I see whatever work I do and what it provides for me, not, mater- not just materially, but spiritually, as an instance of grace from God? And do I see the opportunity in that work 
not only to be creative and to be productive, which God charges us to do, but do I also see it as an opportunity, just like the first human beings, to be able to work into, in community um, to achieve the mandate that we've been given from God. So, so first of all, like from a you know, theological foundation, it starts there for me. I think the the next part of the, in a sense, the logical foundation for me is, you know, having, quote unquote, the mind of Christ or said another way, um, moving away since I have been redeemed and I have born again from my old way of thinking in every area, including how I think about work, Andy. And so I mentioned that third world word transform, but to be specific, I think we have to transform our thinking in three ways or about three different things. First is about the workplace. You know, that's the environment in which or the community with whom we work. And I think if we're honest, sometimes there are, you know, very uh, negative thoughts. Sometimes we, 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 we bring to the workplace about the workplace. And so evolving that work ethic, you know, to me, work ethic is the belief that work is inherently virtuous or good. You know, earlier you referred to a quote from the book. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and it was really speaking in a sense about work ethic, understanding that our internal motivation has to be greater than external motivations like pay or promotion. And then finally, we have to change our thinking about what I would refer to as our work life. Because again, we tend to think sometimes very narrowly about the specific job that we have or our temporal condition at a given point in time as it pertains to work. Whereas your work life is more of a vocational journey, right? It's the sum total of all your work experience. And so that calling takes place in a sense over time. Um, it's not any given situation or any given point. So having more of what I, again, would refer to as that eternal mentality as opposed to a temporal one, I think definitely influences how I think about, you know, a, a, a strong fundamental theology about work. One of the most powerful chapters of the book is when you talk about value, not equating to financial well-being or compensation. You wrote, a pure work ethic drives us to create value or wealth to be shared by our community as opposed to possessions to be piled high in a proverbial storehouse. The truest measure of our worth is reflected by what we give as opposed to what we get. Um, that's, that's powerful. Take us, take us a little deeper there into, um, into what you're truly getting at. Well, you know, this one, you know, it's funny because you know how like you read scripture and you know it uh, in, in, the, in the sense to be true. So there's one thing to believe. There's a, another thing to, to truly have faith. And so then act upon what you believe. And so I, I, when I think about what you shared there, you can't help but go um, to the passage of Scripture in the Bible. Jesus is talking, uh, and when he's talking to his disciples, right, um, he, he introduces the stanza with a particular parable, but ultimately he gets to talking to them about, you know, worry. And it's in the context of actually thinking about our mindset or our attitudes about wealth. And he's, like, and he's frankly saying, you know, why, why would you worry about material things? Your heavenly father knows you have need of these things, right? This is, you know, the, the passage of scripture that, again, talks about, you know, serving two masters. Um, but it's ultimately the passage of scripture that says to us very powerfully that we have to seek first the kingdom of heaven, right? And then everything else will be added. That, that, that 
the kingdom of, of heaven, um, God's rule and reign in our hearts has to take priority over everything else. And again, it's one of those things that, that you hear it and, and you believe it, but to act on it is a different thing because, um, if we're honest with ourselves, there's so many moments, right? Where we are worrying about material things, material things, sometimes in the sense of not feeling safe that we won't have enough material things in a sense that we feel that we have to compete with others or they're the measure uh, of our standing or our worth. Um, material things sometimes in a competitive sense for some people as a way of keeping score. And so, um, you know, I understand so much more practically now uh, while, while Jesus taught so powerfully on that and he, he warned us against that. I think ultimately it comes down to understanding the value that God places on us, on every individual soul. Uh, the fact that if there were only one of us, that God would have stayed up there, or Christ would have stayed up there on that, Christ, that cross and died for us. And so when you can see that and you can see yourself through, through the eyes of God, there's a view you have on your self-worth, right? Absent that, um, there is a, a materialistic view. I think it's particularly prevalent in, in Western cultures. And so, uh, you know, that's something um, that's really important. So the ability to be able to disassociate that from, from what our motivation is for pursuing our work allows us to experience not only God's grace, it, it allows us to fully enter into and to see the kingdom of God. In the book, you talk a lot about um, values are important for shaping your vocation and place we live out our calling. And you stated that your values include faith and relationships, wisdom, accountability, leadership, competence, and generosity. Uh, what, what are or were some of the most difficult things you face in your workplace that, that encroach on your values? I know we, we tapped on this a little bit yeah. earlier, but, <laughs> but you know, more importantly, how, do you, how have you found that you navigate um, these things that seem to encroach on your values? Yeah, um, and that's a great question because uh, to be clear, to the extent we identify, we profess, and then uh, we seek to live out our values. I always tell people, then there, there's going to be pressure placed on them. But I think you have to start with um, just identifying what your values are. I, I think for so we all have values, right? It's just um, whatever your deeply held beliefs are. And while we may have some values in common, they're not the same. They're, they're, they're unique to different people. Um, sometimes uh, we can deceive ourselves in thinking we value things that we don't. Uh, but somebody who probably walked with us uh, for a couple of days and observed us long enough could tell us what our values were, even if we didn't articulate them. But the point about, you know, first being able to identify and, and, and really articulate those values for yourself, um, I can give some examples. One, for example, is just the thought of wisdom. And so foundationally, there are many sources of wisdom. And ultimately, to me, the word of God is the ultimate source of wisdom. But what happens is wisdom is the ability to make right choices. I want to be clear on that. It's not the, the, the propensity to make expedient choices or to do what is politically correct all the time. So think about that. If I just want to live out the value of wisdom in my life, it means to make a wise choice, you know, 
there are times where I will have to do something that might be counter-cultural that might not be considered politically expedient. And I can't, and I can tell you for sure, Andy, that's happened plenty of times in my career. Um, and that's where the pressure comes on that value. As far as accountability, right? There are so many times in, in areas big and small where accountability comes into play. And, and being personally accountable means that not only do I need to deliver against my promises or expectations in my role, I have to be transparent and own up to where, when I've fallen short. Now, think about it. We may take this for granted, but if you really say accountability is a value, we all make mistakes. How, how often do people make mistakes that they sweep under the rug? Or how often are, are people unwilling to be fully accountable in situations when they need to repair a breach of those different things? So again, it's one thing to, 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 to profess a value. It's a different thing when, when there's pressure on it. Because the pressure comes in the sense that in the short term, I always say doing the right thing, I absolutely believe pays in the long term. I think where people struggle with respect to values is it doesn't necessarily always pay in the short term. There are times if you're, you're standing for truth, right, that people aren't going to want to hear the truth. And that might not endear you to people in power and influence. And so you have to decide, are you really going to exercise that value? Last is, you know, generosity. I mean, again, we, 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 we in many instances, are part of culture where uh, there's a dominant uh, thought about how much can I get and keep for myself? And then the thought of just being truly charitable. And when I talk about charitable, I mean generous, not quid pro quo not doing something to curry favor, but truly being generous, a sacrificial sacrifice and giving of substance and time. Those are the things where um, they can be challenged if that's really what you want to live out. And also if you're in a leadership role in an organization and you're trying to steer the organization to do those kinds of things. I, I'll, I'll save any comments on quid pro quos and accountability in the current state we're in right now. That's another conversation for another time. You know, a, a recent study found that Americans maximize 130% of their waking hours. And what they're trying to state is that we're the busiest culture that's ever walked the face of the earth with Americans leading the charge and high work hours and very little time off for vacation. So where does self-care and familial care and health work-life balance fit into all this for you? And, and what does that practically look like? Yeah, so um, great question on a number of levels. So like, you know, you know how you identify areas that are your, your strengths, but you're all, for all of us, our strengths belie our weaknesses. I told you one thing I think that has helped me professionally is the ability to be very disciplined and focused. You know, I, I like to say I'm a bit wired for work, Andy. And when I, when I say that, I'm not just talking about, you know, what I do as my primary profession. I'm talking about the service I provide, say, in a leadership role in my local ministry or different things like that. And to your point, um, if you think about the principle of the Sabbath, um, how, how God was thoughtful enough to capture for us and articulate this thought of, of having rest and reflection. The, um, I think where I, I've been good is about the intentional um, worship and factoring that in on a corporate and a, and, and a personal uh, basis. But in terms of over the long arc of my career, thinking about 
you know, how I'm pacing myself, giving always the appropriate amount of time and attention, that has been a work in progress. Now, what I, what I do believe though, Andy, is I, I don't profess, and I talk about this in the book, this concept of work-life balance. Uh, I, I don't, I, while I understand what is um, intended there, I think this thought that we find some magical stasis between our quote unquote work and our life is a bit of a false dichotomy because it suggests that your work exists outside the context of your life. And I just don't think that's the case. So what I espouse is work-life synergy, which means that what you choose to do vocationally has to be um, complemented or synergistic, so to speak, with what you believe to be your purpose in, your, in life and your belief system, right? And so when I, when I look for synergy, I can, I can find that. And when I'm quote unquote out of balance, cause you always from time to time get out of balance, being clear on my values and my beliefs helps bring me back into a more, in a sense, for lack of better terms, using my term synergistic state. I think that's important. I will tell you one of the things that I have done that is very helpful to me. I am very much an avid reader. I don't honestly watch very much television at all. Um, but I think reading uh, in different disciplines like that do create space for me to be a little bit more reflective. Because I think the thing that's lost most from that busyness that you speak of, Andy, is so many people live their lives with so little reflection. I'm dying to ask, um, is this book a mandatory company memo for all your employees to read? <laughs> so this is the interesting thing. It is not. So, so, so one of the things that I am um, mindful of or that I'm sensitive to is when you have a very influential position. Uh, and so in my case, I'm in one of the most senior executive roles in the company. I, I try to make sure that I'm very thoughtful about, in a sense, how I occupy that space. Um, there are people in the company that, I mean, I have so many people that I have wonderful relationships with. Um, even before this, they know me as a writer and the, the book appeals to them, but there, 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 there's never been an instance in the context of what we do where I explicitly market the book internally, but certainly there have been lots of people who um, know of it, they've read it and, and different things like that. Now, I think what, what I find, Andy, and this wouldn't be surprising to you, is like when people read the book, it's a function of people who know me on any level having a sense of the view on some of these things, not in this level of depth, but, it's not, but it wouldn't be a surprise to anybody that I've had the, the joy of building any level of a relationship with. Um, so that's been more of the approach. I will tell you, though, it's created a, a wonderful opportunity to engage with people even more. And I think for two reasons, the nature of the approach um, uh, of the book is again, to invite again uh, in, in the dedication to the working world. So while certainly it reflects values and beliefs that I have, um, you know, it doesn't matter how you classify yourself, uh, political affiliation, religious denomination, um, believer or atheist, um, you know, everybody here works and, and, and there's an appreciation for the experiences and the truths regarding work. So it creates an opportunity to engage in a dialogue where we naturally have common interest and common purpose. 
I, I, I kind of joked and, you know, that was a joke. And I guess the sense of asking you if it was mandatory reading, though, I do think yeah, it'd be hilarious if it was, you know, because how many professors I had in undergrad and, and grad school that wrote a book and it was required reading for the course, you know, as, as if, you know, their ego wasn't big enough. Um, but, um, you know, I look at this book and I think the church has done people a disservice by not talking about a, um, a theology of vocation. So how do you see this book being a resource for pastors and local churches? So I, I think uh, in, 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 in a couple of ways. The, uh, the one um, uh, thing that I think about is with respect to vocation, I think that you have a lot of wonderfully uh, talented uh, ministry leaders and the, the investments they make in the lives of people is tremendous. That being said, especially for ones who pursue that as their full-time vocation, how many resources do they have that help them in terms of their engagement uh, with people around their vocation? And especially if you think about the nature of the way the book is written, Andy, because you've read it, it includes empirical research, studies, there's, there's practical um, uh, perspective from different people we interview and from different kind of vocations or careers. So again, I think having a tool and not that this is the only tool, but having tools like that, I think are really important uh, because we need to be able to meet people where they live and give them principal wisdom, but also practical advice and tools. I think um, the second thing is, in, in a big way, I think in most um, uh, churches, and not that I go to every church, but I mean, been involved in, in ministry and church and, you know, for a long time and in and, and, and a lot of different ways connected. I just think we collectively don't spend enough time engaged with people around it. I mean, it's almost shocking, right, that people spend most of their waking hours and time and energy dedicated to activities that we spend little to no time talking about and talking about it, not just in terms of the sense of the actual work or work product, but the experience in the work environment to, to, to really understand what it means to live out those values and principles in the context of doing work. And again, not just talking about work in a very limited sense. So, so don't get me wrong. I absolutely believe on the importance of sharing the gospel of Christ. But I think we also can't simply look at work just solely in the sense of a mission field, because we are to be light and salt in the world. We are to do excellent work. We are to re reflect the image of God in everything that we do. So talking about that in its fullness in every aspect, you know, those are some of the ways where I think this provides um, a very useful perspective and a very useful resource uh, for people who are seeking to minister to, to build up, to, to teach and encourage uh, their congregants in that way. I guess final question about the book. What's, what's your hope for it? You know, I, I think, it, you know, like any writer, <laughs> what happens is um, as a writer, right? Um, you, you love, you, you not only love writing, but more than anything, what, what is in your heart is to share a message. And so I, my prayer for the book 
is through the grace of God, you know, doors are open that, you know, certainly I don't have the ability, the power, the influence to open myself, but such that the, the spirit and the heart of the message uh, can reach those that would be blessed by it. I really pray additionally, and, and it was the desire that I had when I literally put the pen to the paper, that there's an ability to have, in a sense, a transcendent impact. And what I mean by that is with the book, while it speaks certainly to people who have a common and uh, in, in, in share a set of beliefs, again, you can appreciate this having read the book, you know, we're all God's children, right? And so again, uh, the ability for the book not to be constrained by any artificial walls, not even be limited to uh, what we might refer to as the organized church, but to be able to do what the word of God does, right? Um, to be a powerful influence, to be, you know, uh, that, that mustard seed, right? Uh, that's, that, that, that when it's sown, it becomes this powerful tree. I mean, it's all of these different things that I just believe powerfully about the truth that we find in the word of God invading um, all parts of our society. And why not start with the workplace where most people spend most of their waking hours? This is your fourth book. I wonder, you know, what continues to drive you and, and what else do you have on the horizon? What other projects are you working on? Yeah, so it's funny because um, what happens is I really enjoy writing, but but it's I don't write from the sense, you know, some people may say, well, I, I've already, I've outlined, you know, I want to write these, you know, 10 books or, you know, they have all these topics. And mine has been more so uh, blooming where I'm planted. So I do believe that I, I have more of me. Um, and as led, I want to write more. But what I would say is I don't pursue it with a commercial interest. I pursue it from the standpoint of what do I feel passionate about and that I feel that I have a unique perspective to share and a voice, and then, and I just go go with that, and I and I think that uh, in that regard, um, uh, God will provide whatever measure of grace, whatever doors will be open. So, I've got some ideas of things that I'm passionate about. Um, for example, one of the things that I do, among other things in our church, is lead our men's ministry. I have I have a real heart for for men, and so there just been several things in my heart percolating as it pertains specifically to men and their spiritual formation and growth. Um, so that's something I thought about. Um, related to that, um, I think about the family and I think about the world, how it's evolving in many different ways from a technology standpoint. When we talk about civil discourse and all those things, what kind of impact that has on, um, you know, the family unit, right? So I think about that. Uh, and certainly, um, as I've seen the response to this book, I mean, we're early in, you know, sort of just four months into the release, and it's just been a tremendous response. And there's more that I have to say about the world of work, so to speak. So so those are certainly areas that prayerfully, as I think about, you know, what I see uh, and what, you know, God shows me or, and whatever I believe my unique voice is, uh, those are areas I think about, you know, I might pursue writing something. If you uh, want to stay connected with Shundron, you can visit his website, shundronthomas.com. Go out and purchase Discover Joy in Work. Um, 
John, John, thank you for inviting us to think theologically about why we do what we do with our lives and, and finding greater intentionality in our vocation. Well, Andy, again, thank you for the time. It's certainly been an enjoyable discussion, and I appreciate, like I said, your investment uh, in reading the book and the conversation. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return. 